Hi, I'm Skip Nipper. Welcome to my podcast, where I tell you about Nashville's great baseball history and traditions. Shot to right a one-hop liner. Certainly about its past, especially about Tom Wilson Park, Herschel Greer Stadium, Sulphur Dale, but also a little bit about its present and future, too. Yes, he can. A mix the waist-high catch. And I introduce you to players, coaches, and other fans and their love for everything baseball. A high fly ball down the right field corner going way back. Hits a leadoff home run. I have talked off and on about all the great baseball teams that played in Nashville. The Nashville Vols played all their games at Sulphurdale from 1901 to 1961 in the Southern Association. There was no baseball here in 1962. And then 1963, a final season. In the South Atlantic League, and Nashville had no baseball for 15 years until the Nashville Sounds resurrected professional baseball in Nashville in 1978. But I thought it would be interesting here as we close out, getting close to closing out this year. What I always find is an interesting statistic is batting championships. Now, Nashville ballplayers had their share, and I wish I could share with you Negro League Ball players from the Nashville Elite Giants, the Nashville Cubs, the Nashville Black Balls, Nashville Stars. I wish I could share batting championship titles with you on those, but you know the records are pretty unclear. Although Major League Baseball is trying to resurrect some of those statistics as they become available, but until then, I can only tell you about Nashville's Volunteers, the Nashville Vols at Sulphurdale. Now, in the 61-year history of the Southern Association, only three players hit over 400, and there are some interesting stories with that. Each one was a Nashville ball player, and in all, 18 players who led the league performed the feat in a Nashville uniform. But I'll tell you, none takes the cake like Hugh Hill in 1902. The Southern Association's first year was 1901. In the inaugural season, Hill played in 51 games and batted 328. That was pretty respectable. The outfielder and right-handed pitcher who hailed from Ringgold, Georgia, outside of Chattanooga, also was a pitcher, and he won six and lost five games from the mound. But in that second season of the Southern Association in 1902, a season in which Nashville was defending the first championship of the league, Hill led with an amazing 416 batting average, an all-time high, and he also scored 99 runs to top the league totals. And that's not all. To add to his laurels, he posted a 21-11 and one-lost record, best in the league. In fact, on August the 28th, 1902, he fanned three New Orleans Pelicans on nine pitches and two days later became the first player in Southern Association history to have two hits and one inning. That took place on August the 30th. Now, his batting average record would not come without some guarded inspection, even though he was named batting champion in the Southern Association record books. In Marshall D. Wright's excellent volume on the league named The Southern Association in Baseball, 1885 through 1961, by 1885, because it also included the prelude years of the Southern Association, which began in 1885, and it went in and out of business for various reasons before becoming a solid league in 1901. 
Well, Marshall D. Wright did not recognize Hill's record as the best in 1902 in the Southern Association. He said Ray Nimick, a founding member of the Society for American Baseball Research, SABR, S-A-B-R. You can find more information at sabr.org. I've been a member for, gosh, I guess 20 years, and I just love it. If you ever want to ask me about it, certainly send me a note or call me. I'd love to tell you more because the research opportunities and the connections that you make through researchers and historians are are great. And if you're a stats guy, that's the place you ought to be too. Anyway, Ray Nimick went through the league game by game and made a startling discovery. Hill didn't hit 416 that season, according to Wright. In fact, he was nowhere close. And as a result of Nimick's research, Hill lost 37 hits while gaining 21 at-bats to finish with a solid, but not spectacular, 296. And the real batting titleist was Shreveport's Frank Hillsman with a 360 average. Now, let me tell you how I feel about that. Our lost a trivia contest one time, my friend Clarence Watkins, who was running the Southern Association Conference at Rickwood Field one time, had a trivia contest, and he wanted to know who won the 1902 Southern Association Batting Championship. And I said, Hugh Hill. And he said, no, it was Frank Hulsman. Well, we're both kind of right. But I prefer the Southern Association Record Book, which was published by the president of the league in most years, not all years, but in most years, and also in the newspaper. And it includes Hugh Hill's 416 batting average. And I think that's correct, as there was no objection to the batting record of 1902 at that time. And it stands to reason that Nemec and Wright placed their own standard on qualifying at-bats, of which there's no source, only of box scores located. And as statistics were reported to the league office and accepted, in my mind, the record is official. And that's my opinion. So let's leave Hugh Hill in 1902, because surprisingly, it would be 29 years before a Vols player would win the batting title again. Moose Claybaugh did it in 1931 when the Vols finished dead last in league standings and repeated on top of the league averages in 1932. Now, he earned a call-up to the Brooklyn Dodgers for 11 games in 1926 after slugging an amazing 62 home runs for the Tyler Trojans in the East Texas League, and he led the Southern Association with 23 home runs in 1931 with that batting average, too. And although he followed with 32 round trippers in 1932, Stanley Keyes hit 35 as they finished one and two in that category. And then Phil Weintraub was the second of all's player to hit over 400. And in August of 1934, the 26-year-old Chicagoan earned a call up to the New York Giants and hitting 401 at that time, he had just enough plate appearances to qualify for the batting title. So Hugh Hill at 416, Phil Weintraub at 401. And then Doug Poco Tate followed with a 355 average the next season, also leading the league with 194 hits and 17 home runs, by the way. That was in 1935. And Bert Haas, H A A S, became the first Nashville players to have the best batting average as a right handed hitter. You see, all the others were left handed swingers. His 365 average in 1935 gave the Vols five batting championships in that decade. Les Fleming won it in 1941 as the third Nashville hitter to bat over 400 with a 414 average. 
And he would earn a call from the Indians for 1942, where he appeared in all 156 games for Cleveland, batting 292. So there you have those three 400 hitters, all three in the Southern Association, all three played for Nashville. Hugh Hill's 416, Phil Weintraub's 401, and Les Fleming's 414. Now, Charlie English and Ed Sauer were the second and third right-handed batters to lead for Nashville. English hit 341, also leading with 201 hits, 50 doubles, and 139 RBI, and then Sauer's 361 in 1943. Sauer led with 30 stolen bases, too, and 51 doubles and 113 runs and was named league most valuable player. And they were tops before lefty Smokey Burgess broke the string in 1948 at 384. When right-hander Bob Borkowski won the batting average title with a 376 average, it gave Nashville hitters five batting titles in a decade for a second time. That was in 1949. But in the 1950s, no less than seven Nashville Vols came out on top of batting averages. Bay Barna with 358, Rance Pless with 364, and he also led the league with 196 hits, and Bill Taylor at 350 who is the only title winner not to see action in the major leagues, won the first three titles to begin the decade, 1951, 52, and 53. But the most magnificent season of any player came in 1954, perhaps the best season of anybody in the whole league in the existence of the Southern Association, came in 1954 when Bob Lennon won the Southern Association's Triple Crown. He had a 345 batting average, of course, to lead the league. Also, 64 home runs, which was an unbelievable total, and 161 RBI. Now, he also added 210 hits and 139 runs, but he was resoundingly named most valuable player. In 1955, Charlie Williams, with a 368 average, gave Nashville a string of five consecutive batting titles and then skipped a year as Stan Palis and Jim Fridley were the last two balls in 1957. In 1958. Now, a final note when Sulphurdale was turned around after the 1926 season, beginning with the 1927 season, and it faced in the opposite direction, right field became a very pronounced hill with the fence only 262 feet down the line from home plate. But it does not appear the narrow field gave either left handed or right handed batters the advantage. Because eight of the 18 batting titles by Nashville Vols players were hit by right-handed batters, with 10 hit by left-handed batters. Well, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this story about the batting champions from the Nashville Vols. If you didn't get a chance to listen to um, last week's podcast with David Lindsley, he's got a great story. It's long, but I think you would enjoy it. Go back and listen to David Lindsay's great story about his baseball career growing up in Columbia. I think you would enjoy that. I also want to call your attention to there's a two-part episode of a conversation with Larry Schmidto, and I think you'd enjoy that. Over the holidays, maybe you'd have some time to listen to some of these longer ones. And then next week is Christmas, and I'll have a special story there. It'll be a little bit less of stats and a little bit more of a whimsical story, I think, that you might enjoy for Christmas. Anyway, as always, I'm grateful that you would join me. 